Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of June 11th through the 13th, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone is doing well out there. I myself had a kind of unplugged weekend the past couple of days. I took a trip upstate with some mates in our first post-vaccine trip, and it was a really fun time, I'll just say that. Uh, anyway, here's hoping that wherever you are, vaccines are coming soon so you can have the same thing uh, if they're not there already. As far as movies go, though, it wasn't quite the blockbuster weekend I was personally expecting. Uh, let's just hop into the domestic top five, shall we? In first place, we have A Quiet Place Part 2 from Paramount. Yes, in a weekend when a new blockbuster musical with predictions of over 20 million opening weekend came out, a horror thriller film took first place in its third weekend. Uh, it did so with $12 million in 3,515 theaters for a per theater average of $3,417 and a week-over-week drop of 38%, a little bit better than its prior weekend's 59% drop, which frankly for a horror film is pretty darn good. Uh, so far, A Quiet Place 2 has made $109 million domestically and $75.8 million abroad for $184.8 million lifetime total. Uh, with that, they were actually the first film to officially cross $100 million post-pandemic domestically. So congratulations to that team over there. Uh, fun fact, the last film that hit $100 million domestically was Sonic the Hedgehog, another Paramount film. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong currently sits at $99.7 million after this past weekend, so it just missed out. So, in second place, we have the big story for this week, uh, In the Heights, Warner's newest musical film adapting the first Broadway musical of Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton fame, directed by Crazy Rich Asians director John M. Chu, coming out on HBO Max as well as in theaters. While as recently as last Thursday, Box Office Pros had it set to make $24 million the week through the week, and I myself personally have said it could possibly go higher, um, it ended up not being the case. Uh, when all was said and done, the film grossed only 11 dollars $5 million in 3,456 theaters for a per theater average of $3,329. Uh, internationally, it didn't make more than $200,000 from reports so far, so it hasn't yet cracked at a $12 million mark worldwide. So, what went wrong here? Uh, you know, let, let's go through everything case by case, right? One obvious thing is, was this a poor quality film? Uh, by all metrics, no. It has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and a 95% from audience score. Metacritic has an at, at an 84, which is really high for a movie, and CinemaScore gave it an A. Uh, so, that's clearly, it's not the case that it was like, you know, a, a terrible movie that, you know, wasn't actually any good quality people didn't want to see it with poor word of mouth. Word of mouth on this is pretty good. Okay, so what was it? Was it a marketing issue from Warner Brothers? You know, they didn't get the word out there enough. According to Deadline, not particularly. And, you know, anecdotally, I personally saw ads for it everywhere I went online. Though, again, I may be in the target demographic being in New York with a, a Hispanic-sounding last name, even if I'm Filipino. Um, and so, yeah. And, but even then, you know, you had Lin-Manuel and John to making the rounds on Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show uh, and various other celebrities helping promote the show. So it also screened at the Tribeca Film Festival here in New York, uh, debuting in Washington Heights, um, as well as the, at the LA Latino International Film Festival. So, you know, knowing me, you know, you might expect me to say, well, Paulo, it opened on HBO Max. That surely must have eaten into its thing, which normally I would agree. Um, however, uh, and, you know, I will say anecdotally, a lot of my friends who did see it and were posting about it on Instagram and such uh, did post them watching it uh, from their TVs at home and not in theaters. 
Uh, that being said, according to Samba TV, it didn't look uh, particularly over-indexed uh, according to their measurements. Uh, they saw 693,000 households watching it over the weekend for at least five minutes. Uh, and that's compared to Cruella, which a couple weeks ago had 686 theaters uh, on its opening weekend. Um, and remember, Cruella, you had to pay an extra $30 to actually watch it on Premiere Access on Disney+. Plus. Uh, so really, the, you know, that probably would have been higher if it had been free. So, you know, some other numbers from Samba that may be a clue, though. So, according to them, the demographics that were over-indexed, meaning that they saw this at a higher rate than, you know, than they, than they would for normal films, um, were for affluent households, you know, those who made more than $100,000, uh, you know, in a household. For non-white, predominantly plus 30% Hispanic and plus 22% Asian. And then it's also more coastal with New San Francisco and New York being uh, the highest uh, markets for it, uh, with 107% in San Francisco and plus 72% over-indexed in New York City. Uh, the latter definitely making sense as it's based in New York. Further to this, according to the deadline, while obviously the New York-based film did great in the New York region, uh, in Hispanic-heavy regions of Texas and Southern California, the film didn't over-index there, as opposed to, say, last week when Conjuring 3, which has a very strong Hispanic span, uh, fan base, and especially a Mexican fan base, you know, with La Llorona, um, you know, being made based off of Mexican horror tale, and, you know, the nun in the franchise, you know, having Mexico be one of its highest uh, markets there, um, you know, that over-indexed. I think that might, you know, be another clue here, right? So, you know, Washington Heights uh, and specifically, uh, is specifically focused on the, uh, you know, Caribbean-American experience, you know, uh, which is a form of, which is a subset of Hispanics. Um, and, you know, here in New York, you know, they make up about 10% of the population. Um, however, Caribbean-Americans only make up 15% of total Hispanics in the U.S. And in th those regions of, of, you know, Texas and Southern California, they make up less than 1% each. Whereas, you know, Mexican uh, Americans make up close to the 30% there. So this may be a case of, you know, Hispanic Americans not being a complete monolith. Uh, and, you know, oh, just because it has, you know, some brown people on there means that it's targeted toward them per se. Um, so, yeah, uh, that suggests to me that while this film um, was, for those who saw it, you know, of great quality, the problem was really getting people in the door in the first place, um, especially if they were banking on that, you know, Hispanic audience. Uh, you know, audience, which again is, you know, not just a single monolith. Um, you know, another part of it is again, in the Heights is based on an adaptation of Lin Manuel Miranda's first Broadway play. Uh, it's about the very specific neighborhood of Washington Heights here in Manhattan. Now, while I do, you know, while people say the Oscars are elitist, and you know, I do the Oscars Death Race podcast, it's a whole other thing for the Tonys. A Tony's Death Race would be kind of impossible, right? Like be going to see every nominated uh, Broadway play for in a given year is just pretty much impossible to do, right, since they're not all running at the same time, and you'd have to pretty much literally live in New York in order to be able to do so. Um, so it's not something that's going to resonate with a wider audience. Um, and, you know, that could be offset, you know, if the, fil if the, if the film has, you know, breakout songs, for example, you know, you have Defying Gravity from Wicked, you have, you know, um, the entire album of Hamilton, for example, right, that film, that actually topped the Billboard chart at number one, as did the, the Book of Mormon one, and Dear Evan Hansen, which is, you know, coming up in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, um, I think charted at number two. Meanwhile, In the Heights original Broadway cast recording has only peaked at 82 on the Billboard album at, at, at its highest point. So it didn't really have a breakout song in the zeitgeist in the same way that Hamilton did, despite also coming from Lin-Manuel Miranda. So combine the fact that it's, you know, a, 
a very New York film, which would play well at the Tonys, right? Um, a New York film um, about New York problems, um, about a very specific subject of the Hispanic community um, from a, you know, a musical that was only ever seen by a very small uh, you know, part of the population. Um, on top of that, there's a 2.5-hour, two, two-and-a-half-hour runtime, which is fairly lengthy and would also limit the number of times a film can sort of a theater can sell the film um, even though there were theater buyouts by various organizations out there I think that's just did not end up being enough you know uh, it, it didn't really have that that wide broad appeal that people were that you know Hamilton might for example have so is all hope lost for In the Heights then uh, I'm while things may look grim I'm not necessarily so um, and the reason I have hope is that it's a musical now in doing research for this I came across an interesting fact uh, from 2010 onward there was only one other musical that has opened up during the summer period which was Mamma Mia Here We Go Again in 2018 a sequel to the 2008 Mamma Mia film which also had a summer release nearly all others opened in October through December uh, the other exception being the live action Beauty and the Beast remake which opened in March um, but that's not really fair because you know Disney live action remakes and everyone knows that so you know of the highest grossing 25 the highest top 25 grossing musicals of all times those that opened after 2010 their legs as according to the numbers.com defines it you know the highest grossing weekend uh, compared to their total um the total box office gross um, generally were above 4.0. So, you know, Broadway adaptations such as Into the Woods or Le Mis had 4.12x and 5.45x, uh, meaning they made that many times more um, the, the total box office as the highest grossing weekend. Uh, Coco, you know, the Disney Pixar film, uh, another Hispanic central centric musical, had a 4.14x multiplier. Uh, then, then, more Miranda related films, Moana and Mary Poppins Returns, uh, had a 4.39 and a 6. 6.06x multiplier, respectively. Now again, those are all winter releases. Uh, Mamma Mia, here we go again, had a 3.45x multiplier, which is more in line with what you see for a typical summer film, which you know make make it may make this actually a very interesting test case to see if musicals in general have long legs, or if really it's a it's a case of the time frame of being released later in the year. Uh, most famously, you know, uh, um, the greatest showman, with especially with the breakout song, uh, all all of their breakout songs, you know, had something like a 11 or 12x multiplier. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be hard. It might be hard for uh, In the Heights to uh, you know get a 4x or higher multiplier. If it got a 4x multiplier, that would put it at what uh, you know somewhere in the 45-ish million range. Um, so you know not quite enough to hit the to beat the 55 million dollar production budget. Um, but we'll see how it does overseas as well. You know if it gets higher than that, you can maybe get the five or maybe the six x range. Uh, we could start to look to maybe turn a profit. And again, we also don't know what this did for H in terms of HBO Max numbers over the long run um so yeah we'll see uh hbo max also has the, the displeasure of higher than normal drops week over week so we'll see all right moving on to number three at the domestic top box office uh, we have the number two the second week of conjuring three which we just talked about um also from warner brothers and on hbo max it dropped 57 percent to 10.3 million in 3237 theaters for per theater average of three thousand one hundred and ninety three dollars a fairly steep drop but again that's in line with hbo max drops and also horror drops so really might be doing a little bit better than it might have otherwise um its domestic total to date is 44 million dollars with another 68 million from a 
abroad, bringing its lifetime total to $112 million. Uh, Franchise-wise, this brings the Conjuring franchise to over $2 billion across all of their films, the first of any horror franchise to do so. Um, if anyone wants to tell you what's the, you know, aside from MC, are there any real mo- uh, film franchises out there? Um, the answer is the Conjuring franchise. Uh, in fourth place, you have another newcomer, Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway from Sony Pictures, um, which is here coming out after hopping between many, many different release dates. Uh, this one opened to $10.1 million in 3,346 theaters for per theater average of $3,019. Uh, also a bit of an underperformance against the $13.2 million predictions from Box Office Pros, though not as bad as In the Heights underperformance. Uh, adding that to the $57.9 million it's made internationally, it currently sits at $68 million lifetime. On a side note, this definitely took the wind out of the other family-friendly kid films in theaters. Uh, Spirit Untamed dropped 58% over last week to only $2.5 million, and Ryan the Last Dragon collapsed by 82% after last week, um, and without losing any theaters, to making less than $250,000 this week. Uh, rounding out the top five from Disney is Cruella, uh, dropping 39% in its third weekend to $6.7 million in 3,307 theaters, a loss of 615 theaters total for a per theater average of $2,037. Uh, domestic total to date is just under $56 million, with $73 million from abroad, bringing its lifetime to $129 million. That also puts it as Disney's highest grossing po- release post-pandemic, outpacing Raya and the Last Dragon by just barely a million dollars. Overall, domestic box office has had its third week above $50 million at $56.9 million. Uh, We'll see if that continues into next weekend with no new major releases. Uh, Interestingly, it's also the first weekend to have four films above $10 million, so it's not all that that concentrated at the top, but actually kind of distributed, which is nice to see. Um... now that being said, I, I did say there was there was no releases on Friday. That being said, you know this coming Father's Day weekend we do have the Hitman's Wife Bodyguard opening up tomorrow on Wednesday for an extended weekend. So we'll see if the Friday, Saturday, Sunday is still able to keep it above ten million dollars. Um, there are no otherwise otherwise no other wide releases in theaters. Um, that said, we also do have Pixar's Luca coming to Disney Plus on Friday for free. So hopefully some of these films will have lower drops versus this week, and we'll look forward to you know the week after with F nine. Uh, looking internationally, in Japan specifically, one bit of curious news, uh, the, fi- the two final chapter films of the Rurouni Kansen live action films took the top two spots in the Japanese box office, the first time a franchise has done so in Japan in the same weekend. Uh, the first opened on April 23rd, and then the sec- latter, the final film, opened up this past weekend. Uh, speaking of other manga adaptations, uh, this we also got confirmation that the prequel movie for the popular Jujutsu Kaisen anime series, uh, whose first season just ended, will be airing this coming December twenty fourth. Um, I don't think it'll do as well as Demon Slayer did, but I am interested. I am interested in seeing that you know more films are taking this route of adapting canon material to films as opposed to uh, just having non canon uh, material. Um, also, we got confirmation that Z Kids will be distributing distributing uh, Mamoru Hosoda's next film bell um, with work from uh, background work from cartoon saloon uh, the oscar-nominated uh, studio uh, four for four of wolf walkers most recently as well as character design by jin kim so i anticipate uh, especially since uh, g kids is uh, had was able to get an oscar nomination for his last film Mirai, we should see this uh, in oscar runs later this year
Uh, moving over to China, at the time of writing, the weekend technically isn't over there as the Dragon Boat Festival means that Monday is a day off. Uh, with the festival, uh, we are getting uh, a bunch of new films, and for, so for the Friday, Saturday, Sunday numbers, there's a fair bit to talk about. Uh, in first place, we have sports drama Never Stop, um, taking the gold medal at 10.14 million US dollars. Uh, in second place, we have Peter Rabbit 2 making its debut, scampering into second place with 7.8 million dollars. Uh, in third place, local thriller Are You Lonesome Tonight came in at 6.8 million US dollars. Uh, in fourth place, we have Japanese sci-fi film Hello, or sci-fi romance Hello World coming in to 6.2 million dollars. Notably, this is higher than its 2019 domestic run in Japan would only made 4.4 million dollars over its entire run that was beaten out by this single weekend in China hopefully this can make its way to the states as its director Ito Tomohiko has had lots of his shows like Sword Art Online uh, Silver Spoon a race and Millionaire Detective Balance Unlimited be some of my favorites and rounding out the top five, we have local comedy drama uh, Sunny Sisters opening to $5.6 million. Also worth noting some uh, Hollywood films over in China outside of the top five. Uh, Cruella brought in $4.5 million uh, for a running total of $10.9 million after last Sunday's opening. Uh, good for sixth place for the weekend. Uh, in eighth place, we have Fast and the Furious 9 bringing in another $3.7 million for a local total of $213 million. Uh, and then Acquired Place 2 brought in $2 million in ninth place for a running total of 34.5 million in China. Let's see, setting aside box office numbers, there isn't a ton of big industry news out there like new dates or whatnot. However, pre-sales did go live for F9 and Black Widow, and so we do have some insights that help inform where those films might end up opening weekend. Uh, first for F9, so far 11 days to release, they've had about 2.25 million in pre-sales so far, which is less than what Godzilla vs. Kong had at the same time, and also similar to the, the range of what the spin-off Hobbs vs. Saw may had in pre-sales, though a bit less than F8. So this one looks like it might be opening in the 50 to 55 million dollar range, maybe 60 million, similar to Hobbs vs. Saw, which would definitely be an underperformance for the franchise, especially after the weaker China numbers. Um, a similar multipliers off of that range would maybe put it at, I don't know, maybe $140 million lifetime in the States. Um, of note, uh, apparently there will be a preview for the upcoming Jurassic World Dominion film in IMAX-only screenings of F9. And then for Black Widow, uh, the, again, the pre-sales went live last week, so we have you know some of the preliminary data, uh, which suggests that pre-sales after one day match that of Captain Marvel and Spider-Man Far From Home, which opened to $153 and $92 million, respectively. Now, it is only one day's worth of data a month out, so it's really hard to really make a lot of strong conclusions from this. Um, you know, it may be that, you know, because of the pandemic, people are pre-ordering things more than normal, or maybe pre-ordering may be more front-loaded because people are excited for the new Marvel film, or, you know, after a year away, or maybe it's front-loaded for specifically Thursday, Friday, but not throughout the rest of the weekend, or it could just be, you know, pre-ordering itself was front-loaded and people, you know, aren't going to be pre-order keeping up this pace of pre-ordering between now and then. Um, a conservative estimate would probably put this at $70 million, uh, even with it releasing on Premier Access as well, but I have seen other people say this could get as high as $100 million and be that first $100 million opening film, which would be pretty nuts in my opinion. I think I would personally peg it a little bit below that. Um, and at the very least, you know, it, does, it has had the highest day of pre-sales since uh, not only the pandemic with $4 million, but also since Rise of Skywalker in December of 2019. 
And yeah, that's pretty much all the box office news that I have this week for you guys. Um, and it looks like, it look like it's going to be another slowest week. We'll see how this week's films hold through next weekend. Um, but with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Suit me ideas for what you think I should cover at the box office watch podcast at zoom.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find our show on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review or at the very least, tell a friend. Any of that helps. If you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon, which let me make not only this show, but all the other podcasts I work on. Link to all of that in our show notes. Numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Intro and outro comes from Kevin MacLeod at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Edit and production is provided by Ninjaboy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. Oh,